WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. This week we're joined by artist Lisa Sturl, whom you may know from Scouts Long Lost, Vault Submerged, and IDW's recent Glow Summer Special. Lisa's also got her own deck of reimagined tarot cards coming out this fall, which is super cool. Uh, we'll talk about all that stuff, plus inking and coloring, her D&D character, and her dog. Meanwhile, what's going on over at WMQComics.com? Well, we are days away from making our grand return to KipCon this month. Uh, Matt Lazowitz and I are going to be hosting a live panel about how libraries can serve as a breeding ground for comics fandom September 21st at the Cape May County Library in Cape May Courthouse, New Jersey. Uh, we're also going to be hosting Geek Trivia there. Uh, it's a good local show, so if you're in South Jersey that weekend, please come check us out. Uh, after that, next month, I'm going to be at New York Comic Con, uh, Friday only, wandering the floor, interviewing creators for the podcast, hitting up some panels, and catching up with friends. So if you're there and you want to meet up, let me know. I would love to say hi. Uh, but enough of the future. Let's live in the present. Here are me and Matt and Lisa. Uh, so, Lisa, the question we like to ask uh, our, our guests, uh, our first-time guests, uh, what, what comics do you remember reading when you first got into the medium? Um, it's funny because I actually, as a kid, didn't read a lot of superhero comics like a lot of my colleagues did. Um, I think the first comic book I ever read was probably... Archie comics, you know, Betty and Veronica or Jughead, like, that I used to pick up at, like, the Walmart checkout line as a kid. Um, I think that was my first introduction to the medium. And from there, it was manga. That was my big thing as a kid. Uh, I fell in love with Sailor Moon absolutely instantly. Uh, And weirdly enough, I think it does sort of have a bit of a... uh, uh, stylistic influence on my work. I love telling those kinds of stories, fantastical stories about, you know, women and stuff. And, uh, yeah, uh, manga for the most part. I didn't really start getting into comics till probably, like, you know, like indie comics and uh, graphic novels and superhero stuff till, like, my early 20s or so. At, at that point, like, what kind of, what kind of stuff are, you, are, are we talking about? Um, well, uh, I kind of first started with, uh, graphic novels like, uh, Black Hole and, uh, kind of started getting a little bit deeper into some weirder manga like Uzumaki, Juji Ito, Tihiro Maruo, weird stuff like that. Uh, this one summer, like lots of, lots of graphic novels is really where I started. Uh, and then it's only been like, Pretty recently that I started reading monthly comics. Um, uh, I loved Shade the Changing Girl. That, that was pretty recent. I actually just started reading Doom Patrol, which, you know, everyone says it's amazing. I finally got around to it. Um, it's it's kind of been a lot of catch-up for me the past few years, but um, I've definitely been trying to delve as much into it as I possibly can because there's just so many good books out there. It's overwhelming sometimes. It is, it is a, a wonderful problem to have, absolutely. And before we start talking about your, your comics work, I saw uh, on your website you've illustrated your own deck of tarot cards that you've got coming out this fall. Uh, you know, what, what inspired this project? Um, that's actually a funny story because it started in kind of a really oddly dark creative place in my life. Um, I was working as a graphic designer for this t-shirt company, like fast fashion t-shirt company. My job was to essentially... Um, 
makes trendy slogans on t-shirts day in and day out. I did this for five years. Um, it was killing my soul creatively, just like just like days in and days out, graphic design, fonts, typography, like maybe a little bit uh, maybe a little bit of illustration here and there. But um, I remember I was just like I had this moment where I was just feeling like, didn't know where, where I was going with my career, didn't know what kind of art I wanted to make, how what my next step should be. And I remember thinking back to the Ten of Swords image and how, um, and it's in the original Rider Waite deck, it is this um, person who is flat, splayed out on the ground with ten swords sticking out of their back. It's a really dreary, cloudy, stark scene, and it's just... The whole card is just, like, tragic, like, defeat, like, crushing, like, negativity. And I kind of took that inspiration and kind of, like, funneled my frustrations in, like, my current position uh, in my creative life and my career into this card design. Didn't really expect anything to come of it. I wasn't really doing it for any reason other just to, like, get these feelings out and into something outside of myself, a piece of artwork. And people really responded to it in a gigantic way that I was not expecting at all. It's definitely my redesign, which has, like, a girl lying on her side with a ten sword still, but she's holding, like, a cell phone. And in the original image that I made, there's a little caption on the bottom that says, like, everything is fine. Just, like, you know, I'm just laying here, like, completely stuck through with ten swords. But I'm just going to look at my phone and tell myself that it's okay and, you know, self-soothe somehow. Um, or distract myself from it, whatever you want, however you want to interpret it. And uh, from there, um, I toyed with the idea of making a deck for, you know, a while. It, it was a really long time before I actually managed to summon up the courage to make another card. Because you know that feeling when you have, you create a work of art, or I don't know, whether it's a comic or a song or whatever, and if it's your first, like, big hit or whatever you get so terrified about making another one because you're like, how do I recapture this magic? Um, but I made more and I took the, I, I, I decided to focus the deck entirely on women and I wanted to do all kinds of women. Uh, I wanted the deck to be diverse in all kinds of different ways. And for uh, young witches that are getting into tarot or maybe like, have been into tarot for a long time that like women and femme people and non-binary people of all types could find themselves represented in this deck. And that's pretty much like the whole story of the Modern Witch Tarot deck. And it's been really exciting. Well, I mean, that, that is, that is awesome that, you know, you're able to take something that kind of just started out as, as, you know, self therapy and, you know, make mm -hmm. it into a, into a larger project like that. Uh, you know, it's funny when you were describing the the ten swords and everything. It's fine. I was just like, wow, this is this is like a really stabby version of uh, of this is fine dog. I love it. Oh yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think there's something about that kind of just social media, Twitter, what have you mindset of just like being bombarded with information of everything going on in the world and just being like completely paralyzed by it um so it's, it's a numbing hell pit yes yes <laughs> uh-huh for sure 
but I'm glad that, uh, you know, it, you can interpret it negatively. Um, some people, you know, it's just good to see your feelings reflected back at you, even if they're bad ones. Um, I think it helps people not feel so alone. That's great. Um, we are kind of not not at all comics related, but you know we're we're on the cusp of fall. Would you consider yourself a summer person or a fall person? Are you ready for the extra layers and the cinnamon flavored everything, or are you still trying to go to Lake Michigan? I I think I've always considered myself more of a summer person. I have a summer birthday, middle of July, well beginning of July, so. I remember at the beginning of this summer, and in, in particular in June, I was like, "This is gonna be the summer that I, I'm never inside. I'm gonna go swimming every day. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on hikes. I'm gonna go camping. I'm gonna do all the things. I'm gonna have bonfires." And I did do a lot of that, but um, it's crazy how quickly fall is here. So I'm excited for it, though. It's been it's been pretty miserably hot for I think everybody across the board. So a little reprieve will be nice. <laughs> True. Uh, so we've had uh, Vita Ayala on the show uh, a couple times, and you guys worked together on uh, Submerged uh, over at Vault, uh, this yeah. fantasy miniseries about a young woman who sort of processes the trauma that her family has put her through by going on a quest in the New York subway system during a flood. Uh, how did you uh, How did you get involved in this series? Um, uh, funnily enough, I think uh, that also ties back to my tarot work that I've done. Um, Vita had run across some of my tarot art online and they loved it and then saw that I also made comics because at the time I had I was like halfway through publishing Long Lost which was my first comic and um, uh, Vita and Vault and the team reached out to me to see if I would be interested in coming on board as the artist for Submerged and the minute that Vita told me what the story was about and I heard the pitch and I was like, oh, this is this is right up my alley. This is exactly the kind of thing I want to make. And uh, yeah, it was pretty smooth sailing from there. Vita is a fantastic collaborator. I would work again with them in a heartbeat. Awesome. Uh, uh, so how much of the creature design was in Vita's script and how much did Vita leave that up to you? I just thought that the designs for that sort of angel of death uh-huh. Feature and the La Laronia were mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous and distinct and fascinating. Thank you. Um so I'm trying to remember what was actually in the script. I think that when it came to the description of the monsters and the creatures, uh I think they're I think they were more kind of like mythological background and maybe like personality based, but as far as like There'd be a few details, like La Llorona had chains. I think that was in the script, is that she had chains. But I think that was the only, like, written indication of what this character should look like. And, um, uh, but one cool thing that Vita did is they had, they sent me a Pinterest board, which, um, was just like a huge image collection of photographic inspiration for kind of all kinds of aesthetics and uh, details. Like there were a lot. Of, I remember there were a lot of pictures of really cool crowns and really elaborate like armor and all kinds of different fascinating things that kind of helped me just immediately feel like I was connecting with what Vita was envisioning without 
in a visual way because I think it's a lot harder for some people to communicate exactly what they have in their head. Um, so just having like the essentially a mood board of kind of the tone and the style of what they were thinking of for the creatures really helped. And then I just got to take my own, uh, you know, uh, uh, inspiration to it and interpret it however I wished and uh, it kind of came together pretty naturally I think the styles kind of this I was kind of going for this weird blend of just like sort of fantasy sort of like dark fantasy maybe like something you might see in like a Guillermo del Toro movie um, uh, but with like a I don't know ghostly maybe subtly Greek Grecian vibe, so I'm glad that you liked it. Pan's Labyrinth is was the first thing that sort of popped into my head as a comparison. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, the Del Toro, I yeah. can get a little bit of the Del Toro in there. I love his creature design. He is bar none, like, uh, one of the masters. Um, definitely a huge inspiration of mine, for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, you also worked with, uh, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing her name, uh, Stella Dia on mm -hmm. uh, colors for the series. Um, you know, did you guys talk about palette a lot? You know, obviously, uh, you know, in a city that's that's currently being flooded uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, all the water imagery, blue is a big color in the series. Yeah. Uh, as far as the colors, honestly, it's actually funny that you, that you mentioned Pan's Labyrinth earlier because... Vita did, or not Vita, uh, Stella Dia did something a little similar when it came to figuring out what the color tones and uh, style should be for the book as they collected like a bunch of source material and I'm pretty sure that there was some Del Toro in there somewhere um, and uh, kind of shared it with us, talked through what they were thinking. They actually made up a few different palettes of so just like swatches of like, I think there was like four like main colors that they were planning on using throughout the series and then they would do and then Stella Dia would do like test pages for like this scene is going to have primarily these colors and then we'd all chime in and be like looks great and um there really wasn't uh honestly I didn't really ha need to I didn't give that much input on the colors Stella Dia kind of it like exactly hit the right tone and just those really bright and then uh, soothing, strange, weird other world greens and blues and darks and purples. And uh, yeah, she did a fantastic job on it. Uh, yeah, she really carried a lot of art, I think, with her beautiful colors. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, you did a Q&A for us back when uh, the Deadbeats anthology was first announced. And uh, you mentioned at the time you were coloring yourself for the first time. Uh, you know, do you feel like you've you've picked up up from the color colorists that you've worked with so far? Yes, I mean, yeah. Uh, I have I have a lot of colorist friends now that I'm always just like hitting up and being like, "Am I doing this right?" Like, I literally had to hit up uh, the artist of uh, Liana Kangas, who's one of my friends, mm -hmm. and uh, had to like send her like my first flat that I'd made and I was like is this correct am I flatting correctly because this is a whole new thing to me my my previous work like I don't flat like that in illustrations because you know one-off prints like that you don't really have to worry about offset or anything of that nature um 
So it was definitely a huge learning curve. Plotting is not easy. It is really time-consuming unless you learn all of the handy shortcuts. Um, uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, like, I like coloring, but I also, it's one of those things that I'm, like, I think I'm comfortable at least, like, half the time, like, like allowing someone else that's amazing at it just work their magic because I think... I think I'm pretty good at it, but I'm also like no pro colorist, and it is a it is a feat to color a comic book for sure. Absolutely, um, yeah. We've had we've had Liana uh, on the show before. She's she's rad. In fact, I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to connecting with her at New York uh, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Liana is great. I love her. She's the best. <laughs> Everyone, she said destroy. <laughs> um, I back Deadbeats, and I'm thoroughly excited for it arriving and the interstitials that you did for the book um are you a horror fan and how did you get involved in that book uh yeah i am a huge horror fan um the first comic that i ever made uh long lost is a horror comic that actually came about from uh my husband, the writer, and I uh, realizing that we weren't seeing what we wanted in horror movies that we were seeing. And um, horror is a huge influence of mine. I love it. Um, you know, movies, movies mostly, like uh, Suspiria, The Shining, The Thing, The Wailing, House of the Devil. Like, I... Horror movies are, like, my go-to genre when, like, I don't know what to do and I need to go see a movie or something. Um, uh, and as far as um, getting hooked up with Deadbeats, I had met Joe Corallo and Eric a couple months, not even a couple months, like, I think right before they reached out to me. Um, I had met them at Emerald City Comic Con, and they're both really cool, nice dudes, and... Um, they reached out to me to see if I wanted to do the cover for the anthology and if I was interested in doing some interstitial pages. And they told me kind of like, they described to me who the shopkeeper was and what their concept was as far as kind of having like a crypt keeper-esque like guide through these creepy stories. And I was like, I am so on board to draw your goth girl because that is my <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. I was really happy I got a chance to do it. Last good horror movie you saw? Oh, what was the last last good horror movie that I saw? Uh, I haven't actually seen any movies lately in theaters. Now that I think about it, and because I usually save up most of my horror movies for October, and then <sighs> my my friends and I will try to do like a horror movie a night for like a month straight. Um, there was that one. Was it? Crap, what's the name of it? I have a terrible memory. It's, I want to say The Sacrament? Uh, is that what it's called? Damn. Hold on. One second. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> it's about a cult. There's like some, um, uh, some weird time travel and time loops in it. Ooh. God dang, what was it called? I don't know this one. If my husband was here, he would totally, he would in an instant remember the name. You know what? Uh, if I remember it, I will let you know the name of it by the end of the podcast. It, it, it'll 
come to you at some point. Yeah. It always no, does. No worries. <laughs> it just popped in my head in the middle of another answer. I'll be like, oh, that's what it was called. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I'm a horror movie junkie, and I've see, I, I go to the movies probably once, if not twice a week. And mm-hmm. so I just saw It Chapter 2, and I saw Ready or Not, which if it's still around when you're doing your horror movie a night come October, Ready or Not is a ton of fun in that horror movie fun way. Okay, yeah, I actually had I'd, I'd heard good things about it. Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down right now. I love getting recommendations. Like I said, I haven't seen I haven't gone to the movies in forever. Uh, lately, I've been doing like bad movie binges. Like um, I just realized that Hulu has almost all the Final Destination movies on it, and I'm just like, and that's what I'm doing all week. So. <laughs> Excellent. A parade of ridiculous death. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome um yeah i may trick my wife into seeing ready or not because she loves adam brody but she hates horror movies so <laughs> i mean it it's more there's it's there's minimal supernatural to it it's mostly a you know people are awful <laughs> <laughs> yeah Oh, I do have a horror recommendation that I remember. Um, it's not a movie, though. Um, I'm almost done. I think I'm well. I'm about halfway through the Terror, the 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 TV show uh, mm-hmm. about the Arctic exploration. It's got. Um, have you heard anything about it? I know. I've only I've heard very little, other than it's supposed to be pretty good, and it's just a matter of finding the time to watch yeah. television by myself as my wife is also not really a horror person. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, I, I have only so much time when I can watch TV on my own. And I have so there, there, uh, there is an, uh, Oh God, what's the, the phrase embarrassment of riches of good stuff on television that I need to get around to watching, but mm-hmm. you tell. <laughs> Yeah, the terror is the terror is great. It's like um, so the show itself is an anthology series. So the first season is about something different than the newest season that just started. But the first season's about this uh, historical, like actual Arctic Arctic exploration to find the Northern Passage, I think. Um, and they essentially get stranded. They get blocked in by like the ice and they can't, you know, sail their boats through. And so they are just trapped there in the Arctic for like, I think they're at three years at the point that I'm currently at. And so it's just kind of the like psychological kind of uh, madness that ensues. And there's also some actual horror elements, supernatural things at work. And uh, it's a slightly, well, I don't think it's even a slow burn because it's, there's, there's something nuts that happens like every episode that you're just like, Oh my God, I can't believe how fast this show moves sometimes for, you know, it all takes place essentially in the same place. But, uh, but yeah, I, I highly recommend that, and I also remember the name of the movie that I, the last horror movie that I saw, which isn't particularly new, but I had just watched it recently. It's called The Endless, um, and it was a sequel to, a kind of sequel to a movie in 2012 called Resolution. Um, yeah, it's a, just, it's cults, time loops, time travel, like weird psychological head games. Uh, I recommend that as well. Cool. Added to the list. 
And 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 uh, P.S. The terror sounds like a really good reason not to buy Greenland. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, but um, no. You know, you do a lot of uh, covers, uh, obviously, and um, you know, I was thinking recently. I saw recently saw that uh, that tweet from Pat Oswalt where he's like, "Oh, I just picked up uh, going to the chapel number one on a whim," and you know, obviously, it was the it was the cover A that you did. Um, mm-hmm. I have to imagine that was a bit of a uh, a surreal experience for everyone involved uh, that day. Yeah, that was really wild because there was a part of me that was like just imagining like. Did Patton Oswalt pick this comic up because he thought the cover looks cool? And I was like, oh my god. Like, I, won't, I don't know for sure, but like to think that, that played a small part in maybe why he decided to pick it up and love it is really amazing. Um, the series is really is really cool, too, as well. Um, David Papoose is a great guy, and uh, it's, it's super fun. It's a super fun, like, I think it's the perfect thing to be reading at the end of summer. It's just, like, lighthearted, crazy... Like action, romance, uh, the kind of thing that you would, that you just kind of get sucked into really quick. Yeah, it's, um, I've read the first issue. It is, it is definitely uh, a ton of fun. Um, and in terms of, of, you know, you should definitely high five yourself for, for Pat Oswalt buying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very cool. It was definitely a, definitely a highlight of my year. <laughs> Uh, and on top of all of the other things in your busy schedule, um, you did the art for the most recent uh, Steven Universe OGN, uh, Campining Play. Yeah. Uh, I'm an avowed Steven Universe super fan, and oh, I loved that book. Um, yeah. Were you a fan of the show before the project? Or oh did my it sort God. of just. Yes, 100%. That was one of. I think that, that project was, I think, one of the first. Well,. It was the first work for hire gig that I had in comics ever. And to have it not only be my first work for hire gig where I'm like, oh, someone trust me enough with their licensed property. This is bananas. And then also it just happens to be like one of my favorite cartoons of all time. I'm like, this is crazy. I'm saying yes immediately. Um, It was a lot of fun to work on. But also like I did not realize how hard it is drawing those characters (laughs) I give props to all of the animators because drawing perfectly oval eyes consistently like on every like for like every character is surprisingly challenging and I actually had to practice drawing ovals like perfect oval swoops like again and again and again and again to kind of just like train my hand to do it better because I kept having wonky ovals for the eyes but uh it was it was it was a huge joy and working with boom is really great. That was a, that was a lot of fun. That book. Have you seen the movie yet? I haven't. I don't think it's playing anywhere around me. So I, I live in the Midwest. So I, I, there was only, it was only the limit. It's I think mostly just on cartoon network. They did like a one night limited engagement in major cities kind of oh, deal. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's airing on cartoon network. I think with some regularity because Oh, it's. I won't say anything because you haven't seen it, but it's so good. So yeah, good. I'm sure it is. I, I was so sad when the series ended, but I'm just like, oh, there's a little bit more. Um, yeah, it's a nice little coda. It's great. I am now even more excited and motivated to find a way to watch it. And um, the, yeah, it, it's a musical all the way through, and there's one number in the middle that's Ted Leo and Amy Mann that's just marvelous. Uh, 
that sounds incredible. Yeah, I was just, I, yeah. Uh, I, I won't say anything else. I, okay. I to, to, to stop resisting the temptation to, to continue. I am so hyped to, 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 to go watch it now. I'm going to have to do it. Maybe tonight. I'll find a way. So I'm sure. If, I, I would not be surprised if it's on, on CartoonNetwork.com at this point. Okay. Good to know. I will look. Uh, so uh, the book the book is about for those of you who don't know and know Stephen um, Peridot and Lapis Lazuli's fanfic of their favorite TV show Campining Hearts being made into a play. Uh, have you ever done any theater? Uh, theater is my day job, so I'm always curious. And uh, what is your history with fanfic and fan art? Any of that in your okay? Uh, okay. Uh, so to the first question. Um, I have not done any theater since, I believe, seventh grade. Um, That's when I got out, too. The, the, yeah. I, could, I, just, I couldn't handle the biz. You were both <laughs> so smart. Oh, boy. Yeah, I, I, was in, I was in my school's production of The King and I as, like, a wife. Which was a really weird thing to just, like, like play a wife as, like, a 12-year-old. Well, I was probably, like, a, yeah, a 12-year-old. Very strange. But, um... But yeah, uh, I'm not the best singer, so uh, as much as I love musicals and also theater in general, uh, it is definitely not the career path for me. <laughs> I soon found out. So, um, and then as far as fanfic and fan art, um, I was definitely a big Harry Potter fan in the time of fan fiction becoming a big thing on the internet. So I remember reading a lot of Harry Potter fan fiction in middle school and junior high. Um, probably junior high, actually, now that I think about it. I didn't really have a computer in middle school, so I'm old. <laughs> um, but And fan art, I cannot express how much fan art is an amazing, wonderful, like, fantastic thing. Um, I remember back when I was like applying to colleges and high school and getting my portfolio together and like how there used to be that kind of this mindset in certain circles and art and there still kind of is in certain circles that like fan art is some lower form of art and like you're not a serious artist if you make fan art but I will say this to any like you know, comic artists or people that want to make comics out there. Like, I've literally gotten jobs from my fan art of characters. Like, um, yeah, it happens. And I've literally, like, sent fan art to, to you know, people here and there. And then they've, you know, there's been interest in, like, me doing some work. So, like, and the other great thing about it is it is, it is such a nice way to kind of, easily connect to like a built-in audience of people that like the same thing as you like and uh it's a lot harder as an artist out there to kind of promote your original artwork in a way that gets people to care because there's just so much stuff out there and um it's hard to stand out from the crowd but if you start in a place where you're making fan art of a thing that people already love then they get kind of a nice little gateway into your other art and it's really neat and i just love fan art so much so yes what was the approval process like for steven universe as it's a licensed product mm -hmm. i know from interviews and from that great uh, art of steven universe book um, 
with Rebecca Sugar that th- it's not quite an on model in the same way as something Disney would be, where there's very strict, everybody has to be exactly the same, but it's more about those shapes and things mm-hmm. looking a certain way to convey the story and the characters. Mm-hmm. So is that, how different is that from other things like the glow book you did, where you're also there dealing with real people and a certain degree of likeness? Um, it's always a little bit challenging in a different way, working on a licensed property because you kind of have two rounds of edits. So you have like your immediate editor at the publisher and then it gets sent to the property holder and then they might have some notes. So um, one thing that's been really handy in comics is just kind of growing a pretty thick skin when it comes to edits and realizing like, hey, just because you have a giant, you know, list of edits doesn't mean you're bad at anything. It just means that, you know, they didn't know what they wanted until they until they saw this. And now there's just some small tweaks that need to be made. So, um, as far as, like, Steven Universe and Glow go, um, Steve, working on Steven Universe was, was pretty, pretty nice, pretty chill. Um, I remember that, uh, I remember kind of being told, like, you don't have to be 100% on model, but, like, you know, there should be definitely, like, you know, I think like 80% like likeness to like the cartoon. I was like, cool. And I think the only like major note that I really got was I had some character heights, uh, a little, a little wonky. I think I made like Steven like way too short or way too tall or one of those, or like Peridot was too tall in a lot of scenes. So I had to go and change that. Um, it's tricky when you have characters with such wildly different heights, uh, to kind of, uh, keep that all in line when you have scenes with just like a whole bunch of characters in them uh and there are a lot of scenes in uh the the graphic novel that have kind of a huge array of different you know gems and also like the townspeople and whatnot so and glow and glow is also interesting just like kind of kind of trying to land glow is a different challenge in that I was trying to land a likeness to a real person, but still keep it true to my personal style. So, like, taking a likeness and essentially doing, like, a caricature of this person in the more cartoonish style, but also have those signifiers that still tell you, like, this is the person. So, like, the nose still has to look kind of similar, even if it's, like, way simpler. And the face shape has to has to look the same, um, even if, you know, in, in, instead of having all these tiny little, like, details, you just have, like, maybe it's just kind of, like, a heart-shaped. And um, that's an interesting process that, luckily, I've had a lot of practice doing that, that type of thing. Because I used to do, uh, uh, portraiture was my focus in college. So, of all the things I know how to draw, I definitely feel the most confident at faces. So, that was a handy skill to already have in place. Um, I, I read the uh, the Glow Summer special after Submerged, so I, I think what you just described, you know, that that vibe, I think definitely uh, carries across. Uh, on the whole, I love I love the, I love the, the Glow comics, you know, both the Summer special and also uh, like the four issue mini from before, which I think was like Teeny Howard and Hannah Templar. They're like an all ages version of the TV show. It almost reminds me of uh, back in the '80s. There used to be like a Hulk Hogan wrestling cartoon, and mm-hmm. it's that like same kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I I 
I've been so lucky to be asked to work on properties that I'm already, like, such a huge fan of. Like, uh, when IDW reached out to me to do Glow, I, I think I'd literally just been talking about how, like, man, Glow is, like, my favorite Netflix show. Like, I love, I love the cast so much. I didn't think I would love wrestling as much as I do because my husband is a huge fan and has been trying to get me into professional wrestling for years, and it has never clicked. But I could watch Glow and those ladies wrestle all day long. It's just, it's heartwarming, it's funny, it's got a lot of goofiness and, like, the perfect amount of camp. Um, the, uh, the original documentary that I think is still on Netflix about the original cast of Glow from the 80s TV show is also really fantastic, if you haven't seen that. I, I don't think I have. Um, yeah, I haven't. I did just finish watching season three, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's great. I think season three was uh was really good. Um, yeah. Yeah. I I was kind of glad that they that they uh they 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 put Sam you know Mark Marin's character a little bit in the background this season and kind of let the other girls have their moments to expand their characters and their and their stories and like their their like passions and I lo- I loved Sheila's whole thing. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but um. I think they did. I, I I'm I'm really happy with where the show's going, and I uh, I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, uh, she, Sheila's arc was absolutely amazing. This is you know glow glow for me. I think one of the reasons that that I like it is it does it's done the same thing that Orange Is the New Black did, where it's like oh you think the focal point is going to be this character, and then you discover mm-hmm. oh no they they everybody's got a very interesting story. We're gonna get there, and you're probably gonna like them more than the main. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the great examples of like ensemble cast like working so perfectly. I completely agree. Yeah. So this is funny. I actually I had this question uh, for the original version in this of this question in our interview script last week for John Allison, but it actually applies here too because uh, you're contributing to uh, Shelley Bond's Hey uh, Amateur Kickstarter anthology. Yes. Where- Creators show how to perform certain tasks in which they are experts. So yeah. uh, I was I, I wanted to know a little bit about uh, your contribution to the book. So um, I will be doing art for a story. I did not come up with a pitch, so I am not the writer. I'm just doing the art on that, and um, it is about uh finding your chakras i believe i haven't received the actual writing the the uh uh the script yet for it but it sounded really fun when shelly asked me to do it i was like heck yes this sounds amazing um uh yeah uh i'm going to be uh i think she just sent me who my who my writer was I'm blanking. Gosh, I'm just uh, David Tishman. Yes, that's right. Uh, How to detail the seven chakras, which uh, I uh, am excited to learn about as well. (laughs) So um, uh, I think it's funny. I think I think people have like I think I know why I was asked to do that one, and it's um, because of my tarot art. I think people have this. I have this perception of me that I'm just this very, like, spiritual, like, witchy, just, like, uh, occult kind of person that knows all of these things about all of, you know, stuff like chakras. Um, tarot is really the, tarot, tarot, tarot is like the, the, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love witchy things, but I'm just, like, like, tarot is kind of my, my bread and butter, and anything beyond that I'm kind of, uh, 
and don't know very much about, but uh, I'm excited to learn. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so, uh, in, in kind of, in getting ready for this interview, I stumbled on a sketch that you had done for a D and D character that you'd been playing. Oh yeah. And Which, now uh, I yield the floor to Matt. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what was your, uh, what class, what, what type of character are you playing? Uh, so if it's the sketch that I, if you saw this sketch recently, because I've done a few different sketches of D&D of D&D characters, um, if it was the sketch you saw recently, which was Annabelle Stable Green, yes, it is, was. Yeah, who is an Azamar Paladin, who I have not actually played yet. Um, uh, I'm starting a new campaign with a friend who is in my current D&D party, and she wants to DM for the first time with a, with a, with a, with a different group. So I'm going to have two D&D games going on at once in my life, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I'm really excited, uh, especially since we've been playing our last campaign for, I think, I think we're coming up on our one-year anniversary. So I'm excited to try a new character on for a little while. Um, and yes, she is, like I said, an Azamar Paladin. Um, she is a big old sweetheart, and I'm a big old dum dum. Like I am <laughs> fully expecting her to like be completely fooled by everyone, just deceiving her all the time as she tries to do what is good. But someone's like, no, no, they're not going to miss those gems. Like we're going to give it to the poor. Don't worry about it. And she's like, sounds good. So, uh, I'm really excited about it. Um, our other campaign, I play a half-elf rogue uh, whose name is Bonalurie Gobblewin. And, I love uh, that name. I, <laughs> really lo- it, I really love coming up with these names. So fun. Um, and she's like your typical, like, uh, uh, dirty little thief. Like has trouble trusting people, has a, uh, a, a, a penchant for stealing anything she can set her eyes on, and um, thinks she's a lot more charismatic than she actually is, and it gets them into trouble quite a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love D&D. Um, it is, like, now my new favorite way to, like, get to know people, because we had... We had someone join our last campaign that was like a colleague of mine that I didn't know super well, but I'd, I'd like, I'd known them for years, but not like super well. And just through the course of like playing d and I'm just like, you're an amazing person. This is such a great way to get to know somebody. Like it's so comfortable, even for like socially anxious people, like I kind of am. It's like, this is the perfect setting to just say and do whatever you want and not have to worry about anything at all except for having fun. Uh, I love it. Amongst my closest friends are the D&D group that I've been playing with now for a little over 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Different campaign. I mean, we, we rotate. DMs, we rotate different types of role-playing games and board games as we go. I'm up to do a, a Monster of the Week one-off during our October marathon, because we usually play every other week. Before October, we're playing every week. Ooh, and, that's a fun idea. I should I should propose that to our group, because we also have a very similar schedule. Yeah, but our Larry, who's our current DM, is like, I don't know if I could do four weeks in a row. I'm like, no, I got a, a an urban fantasy setting for a one-off I want to do. Uh-huh. And yeah, I, I think your characters would 
get along well, either well or terribly, but very <laughs> differently with the current character that both I, the character I am playing and the character my wife is playing. Yeah. As she is this earnest, know-it-all cleric. Oh, yes. We have a group, too. <laughs> cleric wizard who, you know, every third sentence is, well, did you know that? And half of it is completely pulled out of her butt. And I'm not 100% sure if the character even knows what she's pulling out of her butt and what she's, you know, actually believes. And my character is a, a halfling rogue con artist and thief who is especially tiny. It's it's sort of picture Edna from The Incredibles. Oh, wow, yes. If, if very, tiny. <laughs> very dandified, and, you know, the cigarette holder and everything else, darling. Oh, I love it. I love him. That sounds amazing. Yeah, no, it, it, we're, and it's like, I went out of my way to be like, okay, I'm going to, because I'm usually the char- the person who plays the character who keeps the party on track because yes. most of the rest of my fellows like to play very wacky characters. And this time I decided, no, screw it. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to play the chaotic neutral character. Who... It's like, I'm not going to be the straight man this time, goddammit. Like, exactly. Do it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm going to be the one who is about, who has no driving force other than, well, am I getting paid for this? <laughs> Which is every time it's like, something comes on, like, and you'll be paying me, yes? But, like, the past couple of characters, it's like, okay, no, no, okay. Before that, it was the monster, you know, the the stolid monster hunter. And before that was I, I, basically um, Mike Ehrmantraut from Bake, Breaking Bad in a oh D&D setting. Oh, my gosh. That sounds, that sounds pretty funny, though. Oh, it's <laughs> great. You know, grizzled old guard who was on the run because of his, you know, the... the problems with the law and now he plays the fiddle in a band but is secretly this like badass 10th level fighter who's <laughs> hiding and it's like no like but he was always like you know all right well this is the half me- no half measures walter you know, it's like, you know gonna we gotta go this way it's like no now i'm like okay i'm gonna we're gonna sit in the tea house and we're going and we deliver then if we are not doing anything tonight i will find the revel have no fear darlings <laughs> it's like but, but we need to go and do this like the and I'm going to spare our listeners too much, but the this, this is the the moment that defined the character to me when I when the character completely gelled. Uh, we had wandered through this a, a rich affluent party that I had gotten the rest of the party into because um, I known as this sort of entertain sort of David Sedaris esque, you know comedian who walks into places and says snarky things part Sedaris part Oscar Wilde and I get to know the upper crust and then I rob them blind uh, but <laughs> in this case I've gotten into the party we wander through the party then we go into the basement and we wander through the you know demonic orgy that's going on down there and into a side room where there are various teleportation circles uh-huh and Everyone, we, we step, the, we can divide the party in half. Three of us go through the teleportation circle at once. The next three go through then. We pop out where there's um, this giant hulking half something and a wizard and, and everyone else. You know, they charge in 
and I look, and I look at the wizard, and I pull out some fireworks, and I chuck them at him to try to break his concentration, and then I just step right back through the teleportation circle. Cause like, oh. I'm not getting paid to do this. Oh, oh my gosh. And when it's like, that is that character. He will do exactly as much as he is being paid to do, and nothing more. The whole like character you are a pro at role playing that character. I feel like I get out of character sometimes because I'm just like I want to see what happens if we do this. So that 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 sounds perfect, though. There are moments where I I have to fight that urge because I'm usually yeah. the character that does that, and it's like no, right. And this no. is you're you're trying on a new hat this time, so yeah, gotta get used to it. But that sounds so funny. So um. I believe I've seen I've seen pictures of this little rascal on on Twitter. Tell me about your dog. Oh, oh my dog! I've actually I was actually just thinking about him because he's currently um, tearing up a blanket and crying over in the corner because he's not getting any attention right now. Um, his name is Rory. He is a uh, half dachshund, half we don't know some kind of terrier probably, and uh, yeah, he's a lovable little shit. Um, I, I would probably go crazy if it weren't for him and the cat, though, because the freelance life can be uh, pretty lonely sometimes. Mm-hmm. Just in your house all day. The only people you talk to are on the Internet until you go out and see friends later in the day or your partner comes home. So, yes, I, I love him. He's the best. The dog. Uh, yes. My partner. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I have two miniature dachshunds at home, so, um... Oh, yes. They, they, they are, they are each adorable little shits in their own magical way. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's literally staring at me and just, like, ripping chunks out of this old ratty blanket, because he knows that I'm not going to get up and stop him right now. He is being very defiant. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, man. Um, so, uh, next month, October, uh, talked about fall already but in addition to it being you know uh horror month and whatnot uh it's also inktober uh so i was wondering you know what is what is one you know hot tip pro tip uh whatever you want to call it that you can share for anyone who might be listening and want to participate um i feel like there's a lot of anxiety that goes around about doing a challenge like this especially an art Mm -hmm. challenge because the thing about art for most artists is that at least i definitely for me like Sometimes I just don't know. I, sometimes I just don't have any ideas. Sometimes I'm just staring at, you know, my computer or my sketch pad, and I'm just like, I got nothing. And um, that might happen to you during this 30-day challenge where you look at the prompt and you're like, I have nothing good. Or maybe you try and draw, and it turns out bad. And the great thing is, though, is that no one is judging you at all for if you decide to skip some days. And I think most people are just happy to see whatever happens to pop up on their timeline during this month because there's a lot of cool work. But, like, the healthiest thing that I have learned to do as an artist on the Internet is um, I'm only competing with myself. Like, I'm not judging, like, try try your hardest not to judge yourself against other artists because you can really spiral into uh, some negativity there that um, is not going to lead anywhere good. Like, set goalposts for yourself and uh, uh, compete against yourself, and uh, that's, that's, uh, that's the best you can do. And I will probably, I haven't decided if I'm doing Inktober yet this year. 
I haven't actually ever done it. Um, I think I always do like one or two if I'm feeling it and I never really stick to the prompts, but I find, I just got some new tools and some new brushes and I've been liking playing around with my calligraphy pens lately. So I might try and do some this, this year for once. Uh, we'll see. I'm not making any promises. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, How's the, uh, how's the, how's the comic scene out by you? Um, it is, it, it is growing. Um, Columbus, Ohio is mostly a college city, but we do have some really cool comics things here, like the Billy Ireland Comics Library, which is the only of its kind in the U.S., and maybe the world? I'm not I'm sure about that. Um, uh, in which you can, there's just originals of all kinds of comics, just, like, from everywhere that you can imagine. From comic strips, like Calvin and Hobbes, to, like, full pages by, like, Arkham, or, like, whoever you can imagine. It's crazy. Um, which is a really cool, neat resource to have here. And um, we also have... Cartoon Crossroads Columbus, which is a comic convention that I would say is kind of similar to like an SPX or like a TCAF. It's a little smaller, but we're growing every year. That's pretty cool. That happens in actually soon, I think, like two two weeks. There's uh, always a lot of really cool pe people that come out and talk. And uh, I'm blanking on who's going to be here this year because I guess my memory is just not working for me tonight. But um, yeah, and uh, I definitely would say the comics community is growing here. Like, we don't have any publishers here yet, but I'm fingers crossed that maybe somebody will start one, start start publishing books here. Um, um, but, because uh, we have uh, a comics major at our art school now, which is my, uh, which is where I graduated from, Columbus College of Art and Design, has a new comics and narrative practice uh, major, and... I didn't have that when I went there. It didn't exist until a few years ago, and it's really cool now that these kids can go and learn at the trade because I kind of had to teach myself all of this stuff. So it's a it's it's very cool. I think you'll probably be hearing a lot more about Columbus and Columbus Comics in the next few years. That's awesome. To add it to the uh, the vacation list. Um, <laughs> what is your uh, what's your what's your con schedule like this year? Well, <laughs> still trying to decide. I, I'm I'm really procrastinating on it. Uh, try still kind of con uh, contemplating making it down to New York for New York Comic Con. Um, like I said, very late in the uh, in the in the year to try and make that work, but it could still happen. Uh, but I will definitely be at Thought Bubble. Actually, oh. um, yeah. It's crazy. I've never, I've never been to uh, uh, the UK, and it's going to be nuts. Uh, my publisher of my tarot deck is um, actually flying me out there for a a talk for because the my tarot deck will be released in November, right before Thought Bubble. So I'm doing like a bookstore talk at Watkins Bookstore in London, like right before the Thursday before Thought Bubble. I think it's like the ninth or something uh let me look real quick so I don't give people any the seventh the seventh i'm doing a talk in london at watkins and then then i'm taking the train to thought bubble and i'll be there like signing and selling decks and 
hanging out at the Liminal 11 booth. And I've never been, and I'm really excited to meet like all my comics friends that I never get to see in the U.S. for uh, conventions here. So it's going to be really fun. That that sounds awesome. Uh, definitely a con I've never been to. <laughs> may not yeah. may not ever get to go to, but uh, I, I've heard Kieran Gill and DJ's a, 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 an awesome set. <laughs> yeah, I have heard that as well. I think it's going to be a wild week. Um, let's just hope that uh, Brexit doesn't uh, mess all the flights up right right beforehand. <laughs> so fingers crossed for that. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Knocking the nearest wooden surface for you. My desk is wood. I'm going to knock on that. (laughs) I'm knocking on my coffee table right now. (laughs) Nightstand. All the wood has been knocked. (laughs) Um, What what are you reading right now? Uh, Well, uh, I've got the most giant, intense stack of uh, comics from my poll list that I am trying to catch up on. But it's like when you get behind and then it starts growing and you keep putting it off and you're like, what have I done to myself? But consistently, um, I always I always read uh, the new Crowded issue whenever it comes out. I love that comic by uh, Christopher Sebola and Rose Stein and the whole amazing team at Image. Uh, Crowded is so fun so great um uh like i said i finally got a chance to i'm about halfway through the first trade of doom patrol i'm loving it it was not what i was expecting i don't know what i was expecting i could not have expected what i got um that's been really fun Uh, i think i i have i have someone that's potentially commissioning me for some art for that one so i'm just like uh, like they want a fan piece of a car- of a Casey, and I'm just like, okay, I need to finally read this comic that that like everybody talks about. Um, I also just read the graphic novel Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me, which I have reread like three times since. It's beautiful. I love it. Uh, Mariko Tamaki has been one of my faves since this one summer, and Rosemary Valero O'Connell's art is goddamn gorgeous, and the things that she does with Negative space in her paneling is something that you don't see very often in, like, you know, weekly comics, uh, just because in a graphic novel you have more time to tell your story and more space and you're not trying to, like, keep keep people interested over your 22 to 24 pages. Um, so it's very neat, and I hope I get an opportunity to draw, to take some inspiration from that at some point on something in the future, because... Uh, very, it's very unique. Uh, yeah, other than that, I'm just really behind on a lot of things. I re- I, I read Die Number 1 recently, which now I'm already regretting that I did not continue buying that comic because I really loved the first issue. I'm like, oh, no, I'm like, what, like three issues, three or four issues behind now? So um, uh, there's there's just so many more um, that... Uh, you know, check in with me in like a month, and maybe I'll have actually gotten caught up again. So. Yeah, but you'll, but you'll be behind on all new stuff. I know. <laughs> yeah, like, 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 like everyone's talking about what is it, House of X, and the other one, uh, Powers of Ten. Mm-hmm. Powers of Ten, and we we bought the number ones for both of those, and I have not gotten around to reading them yet. And now every week, I or not every week, but every month when the new issue comes out, everyone keeps freaking out all over again. I'm just like. I'm missing this cultural zeitgeist that's happening, and I just, I really need to, like, 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 find the time to read comics. It's, uh, it is, I've been so busy with making them that it is hard 
to find time to read them. Um, but I will I will remedy that soon. Uh, the, the House of X Powers of Ten thing actually is every week. It's in, it's oh, ridic- is it? Yeah, it's ridiculously intense. <laughs> As somebody who. Oh my god, so I'm so behind. Okay, yeah, there's no hope for me now. I should just wait for the trade. <laughs> yeah, they, they there, just listed nice it to pretty November, hard so, cover. Yeah. Okay, great. Yes, I will I will read the trade, and then I will get caught up on the next run and put it on my poll list, and then I'll be I'll be good. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it is, um, it, it's just like, like, comics, comics, like, I... I always want to buy and read like all the cool things that my friends are making and all of the things that are, you know, don't involve anybody that I know, but they just look cool or just the, the, you know, the big two checking new stuff out from them. But it's, it's, uh, uh, you gotta, you, you, you gotta be selective sometimes because when you only have so much time in the day and, uh, not like, uh, a hundred eyeballs to read all the comics at once. So, (laughs) Comics, colon, it's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That really should be the tagline of the site, Dan. (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess there's there's literally a comic for everybody. Like, like there's so many out there. You're gonna find something you like. So just keep keep reading. So yes. It could be the slogan on, like, a really bad spinner rack, like one that's not doing its job correctly, instead of, hey, kids, comics. <laughs> comics, it's a lot. And then it's just, like, Archie <laughs> and Spider-Man looking, like, burdened. <laughs> uh, but, uh, Lisa, as we're as we're wrapping up, how can people follow you online if you, in fact, wish to be followed? Yeah, um, definitely follow me. Um, on Twitter, I am Lisa underscore Sterl, and on Instagram, it's just Lisa Sterl, and that's L-I-S-A-S-T-E-R-L-E. Awesome. Lisa, thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you. It's been great. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. Big thanks to our patrons, uh, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust and the M&T, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones Podcast, Robert Secundus from Hoxpox Talks, and Scott Madrinsky from Mojoswork.com. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time. W-N-Q-A. Hi everybody, my name's Hub, and I host a show called Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. Every week, we read either a Defenders comic book from the 70s, or a New Teen Titans comic from the 80s. I give a synopsis of that comic that I have handcrafted to amuse and inform. And then my good-for-many-things brother Cory comes over and we talk about what we found interesting about the comic we just read. It's a lot of fun, and we hope you'll join us for it. Anything you'd like to add, Cory? I like cocaine from an animal's butthole. Mm. It is. So good. It is.
paradise. Well, Corey, I don't really think that's appropriate. We're trying to do a promotion for our podcast here. Shut up. Okay, fair enough. Any final thoughts? Of course. Well, let's hear them. I have eaten all the beaver butt fish. You have eaten none. <laughs> and beaver's butt fizz. Pretty good. There you have it. Tighten up the defense. That's T-I-T-A-N. You can find it wherever podcasts are found. It's probably worth mentioning. I'm the one who does the editing. Catch the wave of the future and hang 10 on it with us. Cowabunga. Cowabunga. <laughs>